Quick question for you. Are you a Federal Access member yet? If you're a government contractor, you need a Federal Access account. You can get started today with a free membership. Just visit federal-access.com forward slash game changers. Free members get access to about 20 documents and templates as well as our video training playbooks. More importantly, this gets you in the RSM Federal ecosystem and makes you part of our community. So go grab your free account today at federal-access.com forward slash game changers. Now let's hop into this episode. The big question is this, if government contracting is supposed to be so easy, why do so many companies fail to win even a single contract while others dominate the market? That's the question and this podcast will give you the answers. In today's episode, you go one-on-one with best-selling author and master business coach Michael Lejeune to learn exactly how to take your government contracting business to the next level. Welcome to another edition of Game Changers for Government Contractors. I am your host, Michael Lejeune, as always. And today, I want to walk you through breaking down the socioeconomic statuses. And I want to talk a little bit about how much money the government spends on this and all that kind of stuff. There's a handful of things I want to go through on there. I'm going to go through a bunch of the statuses. And then towards the end, I have five specific recommendations for you. I want to kick off by talking about how much money the government spends on social socioeconomic statuses. So somewhere in the neighborhood of 25% of their budget is allocated for this. The bottom line is we're talking a few hundred billion dollars, a few hundred billion dollars that all goes into this. When you think about that, that is a lot of money. It's a great thing, but that's spread out over all of the different services. So just because you hear that the government is spending hundreds of billions of dollars on socioeconomic status type companies, it doesn't mean that your company is going to be successful in the government. One of the first things you really have to do is look up your NAICS codes or PSC codes or however it is the government keywords, however it is the government's buying what you sell and determine, is there a market for me in the government? So don't just hear the fact that there are hundreds of billions of dollars being spent on minority companies or 8A companies or WSB or SDVSB, and we'll get into what those are in a minute, and think, hey, money's going to rain down from the heaven because... I am one of these companies or I qualify for one of those certifications. That is not always true. It really depends on what you sell. Like I was talking to someone the other day and this person focuses on claims adjusting. So they do a lot of different types of claims adjusting. And I said, hey, let me run the numbers. First, they didn't even know their NAICS code. I had to find the NAICS code. When I found the NAICS code and started doing the research, I was like, yeah, there's money in here. But over the last five years, there's only about $55 million in the last five years. That's not a lot of money given where if I flip over to like an IT NAICS code, that money may be $5 billion. So size wise, it was very different. And then I also looked and I'm like, man, there are three companies that are getting 54 of the $55 million. So if you really want to be a claims adjuster in government, you have to work for one of those three companies or else it's going to be extremely difficult for you to get work. That's just the bottom line. So just because the government spends money in an area does mean it's going to be an easy area for you to get into. That's why your research on the front end is so important. So that's one of the things that I wanted to make sure I put out there. I'm always trying to dispel that myth that it's super easy to get in government and the money is just going to rain down from the heavens. The other one is we always hear about the government saying, hey, we're going to allocate more money to small business, more money for this category, for WSB, VOB, HUB Zone, 8A, WSB, if I'd already said that, and in another different 
categories, there's all these different percentages which range from three to like 20% that they're trying to spend in these categories. Some agencies hit those numbers and some don't. At the end of the day, it really does boil down to a couple of factors. The One of the first ones is what's the priority of that command? So if I went to Fort Hood and Fort Hood is gearing up to go to war, then their priority is not necessarily, hey, I want to make sure I'm hitting my small business goals. Their priority is I want to be war ready. That's number one. I want to be battle ready and I want to make sure we have the best equipment that our soldiers are trained right. I want to make sure there's all these things that are going on in their mind. And oh yeah, if we can hit the small business goals, that's awesome, but that's not our priority. We see that from command to command, there's a difference based on whoever that general is or whoever that director is or undersecretary is. They all have different priorities. It doesn't really matter that you hear on a global scale, hey, we're trying to hit these numbers. When you go to each commander, each agency, they all have a different set of priorities. For example, when I I just downloaded, uh, this was off the small business website, and it is the FY 2022 Small Business Goals Report. This one came out in February of 2022. And when I look at it, there are goal percentages for small business contracts. Now, the Department of Energy, their goal percentage is 5.19%. That's the Department of Energy. That's the lowest one on here. Then I look at another agency like Department of Agriculture, and their goal is 47%. The Department of Transportation is 34%. Department of Treasury is 39%. Homeland Security is 34%. So who is determining that the Department of Energy only needs to hit 5%? Well, again, that's there's a lot of things that make up that decision. But when you think about it, most people always just assume that, hey, they're all trying to hit this number. Well, some of them are trying to exceed the goals that the government has given them. Even when we look at like the subcontracting goals, they all have subcontracting goals. They all have WSB goals, you know, hub zone goals, all those kind of things. And those range from three to 5% typically. I'm always looking at who is really aggressive at trying to hit these goals. Those are often agencies that are going to be really friendly to your status, whatever that means, because they're really trying to hit that. You know, Department of Interior, 45% of their business they're trying to go small business route. By the way, that's a status, just being a small business. You may not qualify for anything other than small business in your NAICS codes. That is a status. So you can go look up that report on the SBA website. You can send me an email and I'll send you a copy of that report. It's just a one pager, like an Excel chart, and you can see by agency what their priorities are for each one of these. It's always good to kind of know that about your customer. Next, let's actually talk about what some of the statuses are. First, I talked about small business. So when you first get in, you're going to choose a primary NAICS code. That primary NAICS code will determine when you are a small business because some of them are based on the amount of revenue. Some of them are based on the amount of employees and that sort of thing. And by the way, they adjust these every few years. They just adjusted in 2022 all of the the size categories. Like some went from 16.5 million to 22 million. I think a lot of that has to do with inflation and all those different kind of things. So you're constantly needing to check and make sure that your primary next code that is in SAM is the most beneficial to your business. It not only needs to be accurate, but it needs to be beneficial for your size standard so that you can actually qualify as a small business for as long as possible. Because what if there's two next codes you can choose between and one of them has a threshold of $4 million and the other one is 
$35 million. Well, you want to choose the $35 million if you can. So those are some things to know about making sure you qualify for small business as long as you possibly can based on the NAICS code, based on either revenue or employee count most typically. And there's a spreadsheet you can go Google and it will tell you all the NAICS codes, all the size standards. You'll have all of that information at your fingertips. So let's talk about a couple more statuses. There's the VOSB, which is Veteran Owned Small Business, or SDVOSB, which is Service Disabled Veteran Owned Small Business. If you're doing business with the VA, you absolutely need this or you need a partner with this. Then you have WSB, which is Woman Owned Small Business, or EDWSB, which is economically disadvantaged woman-owned small business. That's a great status. It's one of the few that they will sole source contracts to is WSB. Then there is the 8A. 8A is a minority certification. There's a lot of different things that have to come into play for that. It's a socially or economically disadvantaged category. I recommend you go look at the qualifications for 8A to figure out if that is something you would qualify for. Then there's HubZone. HubZone is probably not as common as you would think, but I I did see a report that in, I think it was 2021, they added about 400 counties to the HubZone map. And so you can literally pull up HubZone map, pop in your address and see if you are located in a HubZone. It's rare enough that if you qualify for that, it's worth getting that one. There's a, a percentage of ownership as well as employees that need to be in the HubZone for you to qualify for that. And then if you leave that changes, um, but they just changed some rules to the HubZone the last couple of years. So go look up that information to see if you qualify for HubZone. Then you get in to things like ANC or Alaska Native, uh, Native American, there's the ISBEE certification. So if you're working with BIA or BIE, so Bureau of Indian Affairs or Indian Education, those are certifications you want if you can qualify for them. There's also Hawaiian Native American or Hawaiian Native. And then there's a ton of state level economically disadvantaged certifications. One of the decisions you have to make when you become a government contractor is, am I going to focus on the sled market? So state, local, and education? Am I going to focus on the Fed market or am I going to focus on all of that? I personally don't like the sled market. There's nothing wrong with the market. I just find you have to do a lot more work on the systems, the politics and all that kind of stuff. It's a very lucrative market. It's just a personal preference of mine that I don't like that market. I like the Fed market because I can go from any industry to any state, maybe even around the world and still sell using the same methodology to that Fed market. Now, a lot of the same foundational principles apply in the sled market, but the politics on the ground, the systems you have to be in, those change at every state and municipality level. And I just don't like the headache of dealing with that. That's why I stick to the Fed market. Once you have determined, hey, what market am I going to go into? Does this make sense for me to get into government contracting? Then here's where the recommendations I have come into play. Number one, I recommend you get every qualification or, or every certification you qualify for. Get every single one. However, I want you to prioritize the top certifications for your top prospects. For example, if I'm doing work at the VA, the WSB, the 8A, the HUBZone, none of those are as important as an SDVOSB certification. That is hands down the certification you need if you're going to be working with the VA. That service disabled veteran-owned small business certification is the one you need. If you're just a veteran-owned small business, that's good too, but you need one of those. Ideally, you would have the SDVOSB. And if you don't have the SDVOSB, that's a point that I'm going to make here in a minute. You're going to need a partner who has that. 
that. One of the things that I typically recommend as your first step when you get in this business, and I talked about earlier, was your research. When you find out in your research, either through sam.gov or through usaspending.gov, who buys what you sell, one of the next things I look at is how they buy what you sell. And as I'm looking at how they buy what you sell, one of the pieces of information I'm looking at is what is their spend percentage in these categories? Because I could pull up somebody and I'm just going to make this one up. Let's say I pulled up the army and in the army, I look at it and they spend out of their small business category. Let's say there's 25% that is going to small business. And out of that 20%, 40% is going SDVOSB. That tells me that that is my important certification I need to get. Or maybe when I pull it up, it says WSB. They're spending 40% of their small business allocation to WSB. That's going to tell me, hey, yes, I could get SDVOSB, but the priority is WSB because that's where the largest spend is for my top buyer. So that's really all you have to do is look at who buys what you sell, how they buy what you sell, and what is their spend in those categories to determine which one of those certifications you go get first. So just prioritize that based on your top prospects because a lot of people just say, well, I'm just going to randomly pick one. I think the SDVOSB is going to be the hardest one to get. So I'm going to start going down that road. And it's like, hey, but your top prospects don't buy that way. You just wasted six months trying to get a certification that they don't really favor that much. So spend the time to do the research to figure out how they buy what you sell. The next one, number two here, is only get your 8A when you are ready for it. So if you qualify for 8A, don't rush out and get this thing. It's the only certification with a clock on it. It's a nine-year business development program, and you can't stop the clock. So don't go get that one out of the gate. If you qualify for it, put it on your radar, get your systems in place, start doing business development, getting clients, winning contracts, that sort of stuff. And maybe in year two or three, then you can pursue the 8A and you can spend the six months while they're reviewing your application. You can spend that time actually positioning that your 8A is coming to existing clients versus trying to get it and trying to use that to open the door. That's not a good way to open the door. So I highly recommend you wait on the 8A till you're ready for it. The next step here, number three, is have a clear teaming strategy. Just because you have one or all of these certifications doesn't mean you shouldn't be teaming with other people. In fact, teaming is how most people win their first few contracts. So as a small business, I'm looking for a minimum two large companies that I'm going to team with, two WSBs, two SDVOSBs. And then based on my clients, I may look for two 8As, two HubZone, two ANCs, whatever it may be. I'm looking for anywhere from six to 10 companies in what we call our teaming stable so that I can have a really solid strategy of teaming partners that I'm working with in order to win business faster. So that was number three. Number four, I'd like you to review both of the mentor protege programs. Yes, I said review both of the mentor protege programs. Most people only realize that the SBA has a mentor protege program. The DOD also has a mentor protege program, which is actually really lucrative for or your mentor. And uh, we did a podcast on that one not too long ago. You can go look up that one. I'm trying to think off the top of my head who was the speaker. I'll probably come back to that in a little bit here. But you can go look up that one. It was about mentor or the DOD mentor protege program. It was a great podcast and you can go learn about that one a little bit more. So that was number four. Number five, this may be one of the most important tips. Learn how to communicate your value over your status because your value is not your status. That's not your value. That's the 
icing on the cake that helps them procure a contract through you easier, but that is not your value. Your value comes down to how do you help and serve your clients? What metrics can you pull up? Uh, you know, what examples of past performance can you come up of how you've actually helped people? That is something you need to do because everybody's going to ask about that. They're going to ask about your company. Tell me a little bit about your company. That's kind of your corporate overview. And you need to be able to communicate value, not say, well, we're an SDVOSB, WSB, 8A, HUBZone, ANC, Hawaiian owned, you know, put in something else, and then you stop. That's not your value. Those are your certifications. We want to talk about value. What have you done for your clients? How many users do you serve on a, on a global basis? How many networks have you installed? How many big projects have you done that were over 500 employees or whatever? Or, uh, you know, how many buildings have you built if you're in construction and things like that? What have you actually done for your clients? And if you get really clear on that, that is something that will help you out. There's also a podcast uh, on that one. Go search for the one on competency mapping or value mapping. That's a really great podcast that talks about communicating your value. Just to kind of sum up today, there's a lot of value in getting a certification, but you really need to take a look at your ideal clients first, do that research, and then be selective about prioritizing which ones you go after first and how you go about positioning that you have them. This really isn't that hard, but I wanted to cover this because a lot of people aren't aware of all the different certifications that are out there. There's probably more than I talked about here today. If if you have questions about this, as always, you can reach out to me, reach out on email, you can reach out on LinkedIn, you can reach out on YouTube, whatever it might be. And I'd love to hear your, your comments and questions and thoughts about this. And we will see you next time. Thanks for listening to Game Changers for Government Contractors. For a full list of episodes and other resources, be sure and check us out on the web at www.rsmfederal.com slash game changers.